Hello and good evening everybody, FPL teacher here bringing you the review of the 1-1 draw between Crystal Palace and Brighton. We focus on how both teams continue to adapt according to their latest formations without their talismans as Crystal Palace go with life without Wilfred Zaha while Brighton continue to chop and change with yet another new formation shifting a particular talisman into attacking midfield. Crystal Palace, who we have to assess philosophically before looking at their player talent individually. The elephant in the room more often than they like to admit is that they live and die by the output of Wilfred Zaha, whether it's penalties, free kicks or just beating his man 1v1 on the flanks. Really at the moment, the quiet part out loud really focuses on who would succeed Wilfred Zaha from anywhere in midfield and Ebre Eze looked like the person to do so. So when Ebre Eze is benched for the second time in a row in Wilfred Zaha's absence, you would think that Palace are employing a completely different approach. The truth unfortunately is rather muddy at the moment with Jordan Ayu as the clear number 10 but his role at the moment is to is to facilitate individual player reactions that can either create overloads or just to maximize certain players' talents in attack. Having said that, there is a saying that goes, perfection is a series of the little things done right. As Jordan Ayu, even though not taking over the game as the number 10, at least enabled, for instance, the left flank of Tyreek Mitchell allowing him to at least bomb forward by overloading that left half space himself alongside Jeffrey Slope. Now this of course only occurred like once in the opening 15 minutes but it was a sign of intent as Jordan Ayu also contributed defensively in terms of their counter press. Speaking of counter press, at least we see some development on the defensive front for Palace as we nominally think of them as a side that is compact, organized-ish and then they rely on counter-attacks to score goals. In this particular case, well, without Otten Edward, with Mateta starting up front, really their focus was pressing triggers as they continue to curiously use a player that we are rather familiar with but not really impressed by. Will Hughes. As Schlup started on the wing, somebody had a start in midfield and Will Hughes was the player that was unusually aggressive on certain players when opponents had the ball. Given that this is his second week in a row starting, this was particularly common where Hughes would wait for the ball to reach a certain part of central midfield and he himself would attempt to win the ball sacrificing Crystal Palace's shape temporarily. Now, at least for FPL purposes, this new counter-pressing approach benefits their number 9. Jonathan Ayu basically bought into Will Hughes' pressing triggers and he helped win the ball a couple of times towards the end of the first half, setting Mateta up for a couple of chances. The unfortunate thing was that Will Hughes was subbed off at half-time due to injury, so they reverted to chaos bringing Sambilokonga on eventually Edward and Eze as well and they reverted to their usual long ball counter-attacking style. 
Having said that, at least we are starting to see development or at least some form of rhyme or reason within this palace side as they continue to form their new identity without Zaha. Brighton, who have decided that enough is enough? Given that today is the day after Valentine's Day, happy belated Valentine's Day people, there has been many people who I'm pretty sure would have experienced the saying that if I'm single and you are single, we might as well get together for this particular day just to try it out. And Brighton did that exactly by shifting one of their most successful players who behaved like a number 10 essentially into the number 10 position. Mac Alistair finally became the jewel in the crown as Pascal Gross filled in at central midfield, making their 4-2-3-1 rather transitional and lopsided on the right. So with this shift in personnel, we really have to focus on who has benefited. And the most obvious player development occurred on the right side, where the right half space in particular saw Solly March on the right flank enjoy this sort of new freedom as a result of gross dictating play from central midfield as well as having Joel Veltman bomb forward from the right flank. Two key benefits from this particular setup. First and foremost, Solly March now was able to actually leave his right flank regularly, not really being triggered by anything in particular, as gross himself either played passes from deep to Solimach so that Solimach could drift over centrally if not all the way to the left flank to take shots. Secondly, more interestingly, when Gross and Veltman both advanced, Solimach really was able to link up with their new talisman, McAllister. McAllister himself wasn't exactly a player that operated well directly centrally as somehow he still behaves like a number eight on the ball playing in the number 10 position so he had this tendency to drift to the left side in order to link up with his midfield colleagues So the first FPL note that we have to make is that Mitoma unfortunately was the player that lost out as a result of this development. McAllister is basically the new golden boy as Palace adopted their approach in the second half to adapt to this new triangle, essentially stifling that right side. So they swapped roles. Instead of the right side creating chaos for the left, the left side now created chaos for the right. Mitoma, Estupinian and McAllister were now the new triangle in the second half and essentially McAllister linked up with either Undaf or Estupinian himself to create chances for the right side. This was exactly how Solimarch helped Brighton take the lead. So at this stage you might be wondering why hasn't FPL teacher mentioned anything about one-touch passing? It's simply because the combinations were less obvious as McAllister isn't exactly a one-touch pass merchant himself. Rather, his decisiveness is in his so-called two-touch style where he's able to use his body to shield the ball relatively well as a number eight. And then he would somehow have eyes at the back of his head to play certain colleagues in decisively. On the right side, Gross 
played much in to find McAllister. So this was less obvious. But in the second half, Lewis Dunn could find McAllister in the left half space and he would either play Dennis Undaf in relatively quickly. If not, he would know almost certainly that Estupinian was free on the flanks. So at this stage, we know for sure that this particular setup might be one to stay given Adam Lalana's injury track record. <laughs> and it's also heartening to see that Evan Ferguson's return did not really impact this setup at all. The narrative around this result will no doubt surround how quickly we can fall in love with this new look Brighton given their fixture run of Fulham, blank, West Ham and then a double hitter against Leeds and yet again a rematch against Crystal Palace at the Amex. At this stage, it's very important that you have your own stance on Brighton's current plan A. Will they continue to approach their one-touch passing by playing a conventional number 10 in the number 10 position, banking on their actual one-touch passing and enabling their wingers such as March and Mitoma, or would they employ this new McAllister at the number 10 style, essentially using him as a second striker at times and having players revolve around him instead. This is FPL Teacher who will continue to review Saturday's games quickly.